Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So, I'll <laughs> <laughs> so which one of us is going to go first? Um, well, I'll go first. Um, you know what? One of our goals in making this podcast is like creating a space where we're letting people hear what it's what it's really like when mm. pastors get together and talk, and no one's listening, although... Obviously, <laughs> we know people are listening. Um, and I, I just think that um, the place that I, I, I'm not feeling astonished at anything. What I am right now is, is just weary and it's not a crisis and it's not a catastrophe. Um, I mean, some of it is just um, practical that I, you know, I, I've been choosing by my own choice um, to, to serve every Sunday since, I mean, well before Advent. Um, mm. and, and that's my choice. Um, and I, and I'm grateful for it, but I also just, um, am, am tired and I feel that. And, um, so that's okay. And we were saying, like, I just feel weary. There's a lot of things that we, we were talking about on our walk that aren't really, podcast material, but are still, you know, things you carry and you need to, um, process. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we're getting ready to walk into Lent and I am feeling really tired and, um, you know, some places of, of discouragement and emptiness and lack. And, you know, I think it's important to be able to say that, that that's a normal, um, typical part of walking with Jesus and paying attention and Absolutely. living in reality. Absolutely. And, um, and so I, I just think that it's important that people know that even as we choose to adopt, um, certain spiritual postures and disciplines of remaining focused on who Jesus is and what the message of the gospel is and what the values of the kingdom of God are and orienting ourselves to those and noticing and celebrating the places where the spirit is moving and, and trying to, you know, orient ourselves to those and that there are just times when it's hard and it feels empty and dry and, um, when that happens, it's, it's not a matter of necessarily that you're doing the wrong work or that someone's done you bad or that, mm. you know, it's just part of, part of being human and alive and awake. And so I'm, I'm, I'm weary and I'm not, mm. and I'm not astonished yeah. at that. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to show up every week and act like, oh, it's just one good thing after another. Um, cause there's still lots of really good, um, and holy and hope filled signs of new life and what God is doing. Um, and still I'm tired and yeah. also, um, I've not been, um, really self-disciplined at all about, um, sort of separating the personal and vocational parts of my life and I'm tired and I need to take a break. And so I'm not preaching on Sunday and that is a kind of a break. And I'm also recognizing that, um, we're walking into Lent and, and it's good to go into Lent feeling really human and limited and ready to take a hard look at, you know, the places you are, um, 
distancing yourself from God and the parts of your life that you don't want God to touch and mm. the places of repentance that you're resisting. And it's good to walk into Lent a little bit sick of your life and and so then willing to do the terrifying work of dying to self a little bit more and making room for resurrection. So that's where I am right now. Well, um, as you were talking, uh, it's just a reminded of a um, a slave spiritual that I haven't thought about in years. Um, but the words go, um, it's very simple. If you want to find Jesus, go in the wilderness, mm-hmm. go in the wilderness, mm-hmm. go in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it sounds like that's what you're mm-hmm. doing. And I think a lot of times, you know, the cultural instinct and even the sort of professional religious instinct is when you get in this kind of place that it's time to move on, like it's time to find something exciting or it's time to like shake up your life or turn over or start in a new congregation. And and maybe, um, but I also just think sometimes you get to a a place like this and you realize it's time to dig deeper or it's time to look at what was, you know, really fruitful in the past or, or say, you know, what's the work that I've been resisting or what's the truth I've been hiding for in what I'm doing right now. And I think a lot of times, um, well, I just very early in my life as a pastor, I read um, Eugene Peterson's Under the Unpredictable Plant, mm-hmm. and really his whole thing, as I remember it, 20-some-odd years later, is, you know, we always want to go to Nineveh, or we never want to go to Nineveh. We always want to go to Tarshish. Right. And when and when the work that God has in front of us is not appealing or doesn't look like it's going to be successful mm-hmm. or looks like it's going to, you know, glorify God and not us, our instinct is like, well, let me find a newer, shiner ministry setting. Um, and, wow. and sometimes it's just, no, like stay, just stay where you are and, and keep working and go deeper and, and see what God can do with that. So anyway, yeah. that is... Well, now I'm reminded of something else. There's a, a psalm, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And I'm not in tears. Like I just no, want to be well, clear. I, know. Like, yes, I don't but... want, but I mean... I just think it's important that, again, like also just if you're paying attention and to reality and the suffering of people both you personally know and care about and just the groaning of all creation and mm. and and we're not meant to be indifferent to that or or used to that or making our peace with that and so there are times when you just um, get are just tired tired and weary of it and are yeah. looking for something you know, the glory of God to, to break through mm-hmm. and, and push past. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily that that's going to create some kind of visible thing that the world would look at and be super impressed by, um, but would really be visibly bearing fruit, kingdom of God fruit in the local context. And just recognizing that sometimes you get in a point where you're like, I don't want to read anymore about something. I don't mm-hmm. want to hear anybody. I want to experience this directly um, or, you know, someone sure. around who mm-hmm. experiences directly in a, a breakthrough, mm-hmm. a, um, an unshackling or whatever that looks like. So yeah. what's astonishing you? Well, uh, you know, I have this fantastic ministry coach, uh, Tom yes. Bandy, who is great. Mm-hmm. And, uh, before I entered into coaching, I, assumed that mm-hmm. coaching would be about how I could, um, show up in the congregation as my awesome self Mm -hmm. and change the church. Mm -hmm. And really Mm -hmm. coaching is about 
how I need to change in mm-hmm. order to be effective and faithful in mm-hmm. leadership. Um, yeah. Because the reality is I have some impulses in my leadership that are not healthy mm-hmm. or holy. Oh, no. <laughs> or, I know. <laughs> good thing that's uh, or just helpful. you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm glad you're the only one. <laughs> I'm the only one, sure. <laughs> that's good. Phew, glad uh, you got that coach. <laughs> uh, so um, I've been working on one particular aspect of my leadership that's mm-hmm. just not healthy. And that is my impulse to see a problem and just jump on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and my assumption is I am helping the church. I'm helping mm-hmm. the elders. If I attack a problem, they'll join in. But the effect is that I, I don't leave any room for elders or for anyone else mm-hmm. to step up and step in uh, to leadership or to exercise their gifting. And so we had an elders meeting last night. I'm driving back from Atlanta, and I knew that there were several things on the agenda that I would just be tempted to just take over and say, okay, this is what we need to do. And uh, and I, I've been working on not doing that, and so I'm just praying about it, driving back from Atlanta, and uh, um, I said, God, just help me not to fall into my normal patterns. And I'm just astonished, uh, number one, that uh, there's this great help of the Spirit for me to do something different. But to see elders then step yeah. in, like things I've been begging and pleading and pushing for uh, uh, action on, once I... Stop talking yeah. <laughs> and stop pushing. Uh, one of them said, hey, you know, we need to do something about this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Right? And so that's just astonishing to, walk, to, to watch. Um, and it made me really hopeful, right? Because yeah. if, 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 if I can change, because that, that's a real strong I'm impulse sure. with me. If I can change, there's real hope for the church. Right. Because, uh, you know, I'm pretty hard-headed. Well, and I just think it's so interesting because I, I think... I used to, used to, but yes, have that same instinct and really look, I mean, I just think it's hard to find that balance, right? Because I know that I... You don't want to be passive. Right. I have a lot of, I see a lot of models Mm -hmm. of people who are charged with leading their congregations and it seems that you use that idea of like, well, it's not my church as an excuse to just sit within the system and draw your paycheck and just say basically like, I... I'm not culpable. I'm not responsible. They are who they are. Yes. I just show up here to preach and do funerals. Yes. And and so that's obviously not healthy. And the opposite extreme of coming in as the savior, as the hero, mm-hmm. and just, you know, being the center and doing everything and solving every problem and, you know, not leaving um, any space for people to learn through failure and through That's tension right. That's right. and through conflict, right? That is also not healthy. And although, to let them be beginners. Absolutely. But finding that space in the middle where mm-hmm. you are not at all passive, right. that you're very actively at work, but your but your work is then not visible. And that's mm-hmm. a challenge for me is like mm-hmm. I I want to swoop in and save the day because I don't like problems, I don't like tension, and I don't like conflict. Yeah. And when you swoop in and save the day, generally mm-hmm. people really like you mm-hmm. and then that feeds your need to be important and to be affirmed. Mm-hmm. And so to do this harder work of saying like how can I help other people? know what I know, see what I see, practice what I practice, and then set other people up to be 
the leaders, to be the hero, to be the absolutely right? and, yes, um, and that's yes. just much harder work. And I realize it's just harder for my ego. Yeah. Um, I don't know if elders noticed last night, but at one point on one particular agenda item, I just made a confession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, look, you all. I am tempted to do this. This is what I normally do in this situation. I'm trying not to do this. And, um, yeah, they they were very gracious and wonderful and and stepped up and just took on a whole lot last night. Well, and I think what you said that was really important is you said, well, how... If I'm not willing to change, like if I'm not willing to do Mm -hmm. deep, scary, vulnerable work about saying, God, teach me how to show up and break out of my patterns and adopt a healthier position, you know, posture and Mm -hmm. a healthier, you know, vulnerability and weakness that gives you room. If I'm not willing to do that work, then how can I reasonably expect anybody else to do it? And I think a lot of times we do enter into systems, especially if we are like doing transformational work, we Mm -hmm. enter into systems as though we've already arrived and everybody else just needs to get to where we are. Everyone else needs to change. And then what we're really broadcasting to people is don't change, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, if I'm not changing, then why should you change? If I'm not willing to be, I mean, we're telling people with my mouth that it's a good and holy thing to make yourself vulnerable and to allow the Holy Spirit to lead yeah. you through weakness into new strengths. But in my practice, I'm saying, no, I've arrived. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, it, and, you know, I'm ashamed to admit that I haven't. Well, okay. So this is totally not holy, mm-hmm. but, um, sometimes, <laughs> Sometimes in elders meetings, I pretend like I'm on the show Survivor. <laughs> no, like seriously. So one of the things I admire about certain people on that show is that um, <clears throat> some of them have a willingness to adapt. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. so what I'm doing is not working. If I keep doing this, I'm going to get voted off right. the island, right? right. And right. so they adapt. And so I'm, I'm just thinking, and since the new season started last Wednesday. I know, we just yes. watched it with the kids on Saturday night. It's all some Murphy you know, Land viewing. I need to adapt. I need to mm-hmm. change because I have certain ways that don't work. Right. And, yeah, no, I think that's what, and, I mean, I think, when you walk in saying, like, what's my actual goal here? Mm-hmm. Is my actual goal to look a certain way, yes. to be perceived a certain yes. way, to function in a certain way? Or is my actual goal here to help this community grow more and more healthy and holy and fruitful? And and those are often yeah. two different things. And sometimes right. you have to let... You know, you have to let people fail. You have to let people do things in a different way than you personally would do them. Mm-hmm. I, I get some pushback sometimes in the church from gentle pushback from people who am not super great at it. But one thing I do think I sort of intrinsically know is that there are sometimes when people are doing important things, mm. important visible things, not in the way that I would have them done. And sometimes friends or colleagues would say like, well, how can you let that happen? Or like, how come you're not whatever? And yeah. I just feel like, well, because I mean, the danger is to abdicate responsibility. But in a lot of ways, I just feel like at, Everything doesn't have to look like the way mm-hmm. I would have it look. Like everything doesn't have to be done in the way that it would be done if I were doing it, mm-hmm. right? And just so finding that balance of like when you have to really step in and say, no, this has crossed a line yeah. and it, and it, and I, I need to correct it. Or when you could just say like, wow, I would not have led that moment in worship or that mm-hmm. committee meeting in that way. It didn't even make me totally comfortable, but. That is that person authentically showing up at themselves. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I need to go back on the other end and meet with Mm -hmm. them and talk through it and have an uncomfortable conversation myself about it, but I don't need to control it. Well, 
I think what's happening in so many mainline churches is that, you know, a pastor shows up and they shine in the midst of the congregation and in many ways win the congregation over. But when that pastor leaves, and we do fairly often, Mm -hmm. we don't typically stay a long time these days, and when we move on, um, there hasn't been a new culture built Mm -hmm. and so they just kind of press reset next pastor and they gravitate toward whatever their thing is and um, so you never really uh, transform the the culture of the congregation well and I do think that like um it's funny I was talking about somebody the other day and they were saying like well what do you think of this person or that person and I was like well I mean I like someone on television I mean, that's just all I'm going to say. Okay, all right, all right, very good, okay. And I sort of said, like, well, you know, I, I, I think this, but I only really know one of them. Like, mm. it's easy to think a lot of somebody if you only know them enough mm. to see their strengths. And then other people, you know them so well that you see both their strengths and their weaknesses, and you see sort of the full picture of your their humanity. And sure. it's always easier to prefer the person that you know less well and make the assumption mm. that, you that's know, the good. shiny, strong parts of them, which are the only parts you can see from afar, are the only real parts. And it's much harder, you know, to to be in relationship with people when you know them enough, mm-hmm. well enough, intimately enough to know like, That's oh, good. this person has like real flaws that aren't mm-hmm. cute and real weaknesses that are weaknesses. And I feel like as pastors sometimes, like we come into congregations and we're conditioned to lead out of our strengths. Yes. Um, but then when we get to the point where our weaknesses are becoming available and our weaknesses, which the gospel said, can also be leveraged yeah. even more powerfully yeah. for the sake of the kingdom. But that's when instead of saying like, oh, well, the church needs this kind of leadership and I'm not good at that. So peace, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying like, well, no, the church needs this Yes. and I'm in this role. So what can I do to take seriously that need and to grow into that and to Mm -hmm. partner with them? And like, if I'm not good in it and they're not good in it either. And if we all need to grow in it, then let's, you know, tell the truth, repent and grow in it together. Instead of saying like, no, no, let's just bring in somebody who's strong in Mm -hmm. that area. Like Mm -hmm. we, I don't know. Well, this has gotten to be a very theoretical conversation and you know what I think about those. So, um, (laughs) so what are you thinking about? I am thinking about this book that I've kind of been thumbing through uh, by Andrew Gabriel. It's called Simply Spirit-Filled. And basically, uh, by the title, you can tell he's coming out of the Pentecostal Mm -hmm. charismatic camp. And um, he's evaluating uh, certain practices within that movement. And, you know, that I kind of live at an intersection between uh, the Pentecost, I mean, the the Presbyterian and and charismatic movements. Presbycostal. I'm I'm, I'm more Presbyterian than charismatic, but I, I certainly am embrace the, um, the gifts of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, uh, and so this book is evaluating those and, uh, there, there's a section where, um, Andrew is saying, well, you know, some of these practices, um, uh, well, we kind of manipulate people like Mm -hmm. when, when a church, when churches have quote unquote catchers and, uh, pastors go by, you know, kind of pushing on people's foreheads and they fall out. Well, there can be a kind of group thing. There can be this mm-hmm. this um, this pressure to conform and do what everyone else is doing and fall out. Um, and and so that that camp, uh, that tribe within the body of Christ is is wrestling with um, the good in their movement and the not so good in their movement. Um, and and you know we have the the opposite issues that they have we 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 don't go too far into the uh holy spirit experiential 
don't think it is the opposite. I think that it's just a mirror image of the same problem, which is like this idea of like what being performative or being authentic. Like I, I think of in that, in that context with the, with the spirit and the falling out and the idea of like having the whole infrastructure, like the literal group of peoples lined up in such a way so that everybody knows consciously or unconsciously what's What's expected of them. Well, what's expected of them. And if you stand up there and don't fall out, then what you are bringing into question is maybe the spirituality of the pastor or the congregation, but probably you know, your own self, like, who are you in the Lord? Are you resistant or whatever? You're not open to the Holy Spirit and that. So, I mean, it's this whole, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's this whole idea of, is this a true thing that the Holy Spirit can come upon people and Mm. and they can be over? Of course, it's a true thing. Of course, it's a thing that happens. But then we put up in our, in, we, we put together our communities and our cultures in such a way where we can then perform it. Yes. So that in a particular instance, it okay. might not be authentic, but we're performing yeah. it. And the mm-hmm. thing itself is authentic. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking, I mean, I think in the Presbyterian church, it's often the same way. We we set ourselves up and have certain practices and cultural norms and more where we, where we act as if a certain thing is happening. Mm-hmm. For example, shared leadership between pastors and, and members of the congregation. Mm-hmm. We act as if that is happening. We have this whole structure that makes it appear like that's happening. Yeah. But is it? really mm. happening. Mm. I mean, I often not. Yes. And I was reading somebody the other day, like a, um, a racial, uh, an activist, an African-American activist, mm. like working, um, to bring about really mm, to call white people to accountability about being an ally. And she, her name's Allie Henry. And she's really, I mean, really challenging in a, in a really good way for me as a white person to read because she writes a lot about like, Hey, white people, you say you're an ally, you know, but if you do this in these places and not in other places, then really your allyship is performative. It's not Mm. authentic. Right. And it Mm. does draw into question, like how much of what we do, do we do in a particular space so that we can be seen and labeled as on this team or on that team, as opposed to living in the uncertainty of like sometimes to really value something means you show up and and like if you really really value the holy spirit then you don't fall down yes when that's not authentically what's happening right like you yes. you want to say i want to stand in the truth yes. of what the holy spirit is doing in this moment and not you know and if you really value being an ally mm-hmm. then that means if a person of color comes to you and says that thing you did was really racist instead of trying to deflect or defend or yeah. say how dare you yeah. you say wow, like that really deeply troubles me and I, you know, I'm sorry, (laughs) or, you know, tell me more, teach me more. Like, I don't want to appear to be an ally. I want to be one, which means I have to acknowledge that this part of me isn't pretty and I wasn't consistent and and I wasn't authentic. And, you know, sometimes in the Presbyterian church, I think we, we pride ourselves so much Mm. on certain values like being reformed and always reforming. And yet we close ourselves off yes. from having real conversations that's where about the death in our, co- I know yes. this that, was supposed to be your part. Well, that's okay. I'm sorry. It's okay. No, it's all I'm good. Such... But that's actually where I was going that, that he's dealing with, um, their, their movement in ours. It's, if we're going to be reformed and reforming, how do we not 
perform or how do we embrace the work of the spirit in such a way that uh, it allows uh, a great deal of freedom? You know, most of most, many of our congregations have this memory of the charismatic movement in the 70s, maybe the 80s. And so it, it's viewed as a threat. But if mm-hmm. we're going to show up and not uh, perform a certain kind of Christianity, but really be open to the moving of the spirit... Well, I'm, I'm just trying to think through what do I need to teach? What do I need to model? Um, what do I need to invite people into uh, to help them into that? Just as, as, as Andrew is wrestling with that for the charismatic movement, I want to wrestle with that for our congregation. Well, I just thought it was interesting. So neither you nor I were at the last Presbytery meeting. Wow, you're just um, going to put that out there. Well, okay. I, mean, I was doing ministry, so I don't. I didn't get my few official excused absence, but I was doing ministry, so I, I'm okay with that. But apparently, a, a colleague of ours preached what was, by all accounts, a really good sermon. Um, but but one of my elders was there, um, who actually happens to be an African American woman, right? So she's there representing the Grove and listening to this sermon. And and in the course of the sermon, our colleague, who I like and respect, and the sermon was good. And he is a white man preaching to a white congregation. And and he said several times and one time explicitly, like, tomorrow we're all going to go home and worship in our homogenized congregations. And there's a racially, you know, uh, um, homogenized congregations. And there's nothing we can do about that. So what else can we do? And so it's the idea that, like... We act as if it's gravity, as if it's inevitable, as if we're totally not responsible for living out our values about what the kingdom of God looks like, when the reality is it is possible. It just costs more than we're willing to pay, and we're not even going to name that. We're just going to be like, well, I can't help it. Black churches are black churches, and white churches are white churches, and there's there's nothing nothing we can do about it. it. I'm like, that's amazing to me that, like, I mean, not all of us are going to go do that tomorrow, but you just can't even see that we're here or acknowledge that reality. It is astonishing that an elder from your church, did you say sent you an email or? No, we were just talking about it. I was just Well, someone from our church, a a white woman, sent me a text Mm -hmm. saying, hey, but we're doing this. I know what you're saying. We're seeking to do the multicultural thing. Like, do they not see us? And the reality is... No, yeah. no, they don't. And one of the reasons I think you don't see us, that you would literally, I mean, like, if you're a white man, would you get up in front of that congregation to be like, there are going to be no black people at the Presbyterian Church? You wouldn't do it yeah. because yeah. Yeah. it because it would be wrong and it would be flat out untrue and it would cause all kinds of trouble. But, but the idea that Derrida and The Grove and Caldwell and some of these congregations who have made these choices and mm. that are beginning to bear fruit, the idea that this is a real option is a scary thing for other yes. congregations who yes. say, no, we have these... These values too. Yes. It's just that our congregations yes. don't reflect them, but that's yes. not our responsibility or our fault, or there's nothing we can do about it. And that might be true, but don't say that my congregation doesn't exist in order to make you feel comfortable about going home to your congregation tomorrow morning. Yeah. Like that might not be your call and that's fine, but we're here yeah. and it is possible. It is possible. And if you don't want to do it, then let's just tell the truth about that. Instead of acting like, well, we got to go together in presbytery meetings because that's the only time we can be a multicultural body of Christ. Okay, you can think that. We, <laughs> It's a good thing nobody listens to this podcast. <laughs> so I'm saying to I'm moving on. I want to share my completely inoffensive thing that I'm thinking about. I can't believe you just suckered me into having a real conversation. How did I sucker you in? I'm weary, and so I'm just not self-editing in the same way yes. as I would normally, as normally do. See, what people don't understand is the conversations we have on our walks <laughs> are 
intense. I have to admit, I, I, I like the way your brain works. It just, it's just great. So a friend of mine sent me this really um, great um, quote from Frederick Beekner about Lent. And I'm not preaching this week, and so I'm really thinking about um, taking this time to try to um, map out our worship series for Lent, which is going to be on the last words of Christ and um, thinking about last words in Lent. And um, and so let me just read this because it, it's good and it's short and it really sums up what I'm thinking about. So this is Frederick Beekner. In many cultures, there's an ancient custom of giving a tenth of each year's income to some holy use. For Christians, to observe the 40 days of Lent is to do the same thing with roughly a tenth of each year's days. I know, right? That's an amazing thing to think about. Okay, so, but there's more. After being baptized by John in the River Jordan, Jesus went off alone into the wilderness where he spent 40 days asking himself the question, what it meant to be Jesus. During Lent, Christians are supposed to ask one way or another what it means to be themselves. And then he he goes on and he has some questions that people can consider. Um, But one of which, which I think we'll probably use, is if you had only one last message to leave to a handful of people who are most important to you, what would it be in 25 words or less? Now, Jesus' last words are considerably more than 25 words, right? But this idea that like you have this moment to sort of say, this is wow. what my life means. And wow. the, these are the values I stand for. And this wow. is the way of living that I'm inviting you into, right? And to really, instead of just react, react, react to what everybody else is talking and thinking yeah. about, to be able to say, no, what are mine? Because no matter how much we can distract ourselves, there's going to come a moment in our life where it's going to become crystal clear to us what really matters to us. And then in light of that, we're going to see other things really, really differently. Right. right. And so I think the value of Lent is to be able to say like, no, let's take a minute to really look at the questions that are scary. Like, who am I? And am I the person I was created to be? And if I'm not, what am I, what, what am I going to do about that? I'm going to start by telling the truth and yeah. repenting of this false life. I've been living and asking the Holy Spirit to give me the grace to live the life I was called to live, which I clearly can't live in my own effort because here's where I ended up. But this is what I love. To hear yourself try to answer questions like these is to begin to hear something not only of who you are, but of both what you are becoming and what you are failing to become. And then it can be a pretty depressing business all in all. But if sackcloth and ashes are the start of it, then something like Easter may be at the end of it. And I just love all of that. And I love calling people to be able to say, hey, in these 40 days, let's consider our lives yeah. in in comparison to Jesus yeah. and really paying attention to there are things we say we believe in, but when it comes down to how we spend our days and what difficult choices we make or avoid making. I mean, that's where our values are played out. And that's not about me looking at your life and saying you should be yeah. blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah. I don't have any idea yeah. what somebody else is called by God to do on the day. I mean, we, because we can all perform Christian, especially when we meet one another in the context of the church, right? So most of us can performatively look like disciples, at least as well as, yeah. you know, the dominant cultures expect, expectations of what that is, but, but really digging deeper and saying, you know, what, what is it? And really valuing again, our lives here and now, and the reality of the world here and now, and the 
potential we have to impact other people mm. with the kingdom of God or not. And the impact we have to either strengthen the kingdom of God, the reality of that, or just strengthen the reality, the perceived reality of the kingdoms of culture. I mean, that that's a yeah, real wow, thing. Wow. So wow. anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm, that reminds me that um, um, the elders at uh, Derrida last night um, decided to call for a congregational fast during Lent. Mm. Now... I have invited congregations to fast over my 20 years of ministry, <laughs> but it's always been me calling yeah. the congregation. And so at our January meeting, the elders made a covenant um, that we would just pray about it for a month mm-hmm. to see if we felt God calling us to call the mm-hmm. congregation to a congregational fast. And um, last night they said yes. And um, well, why? Well, we, we need to seek God. We need to get mm-hmm. serious about our spiritual lives and we, we need to do some work there um, because we do, uh, we, we perform church, mm-hmm. we perform Christianity. And so, uh, yeah, that's and really good. Spiritual tools for spiritual growth. Yeah. Right. And I do think that a lot of times as pastors, like we, again, like we can't help but be focused on the appearance of things, on mm-hmm. the institutional side. Like mm-hmm. we want to make institutional fixes mm-hmm. to institutional problems instead of recognizing that a church is a spiritual community. And so for us right now, it is all about spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. It's all because just like you're saying, it's so easy for me to work on the appearances. And Mm -hmm. then at the end of the day, just feel really good about myself and what I've done because it looks really good. Look Mm -hmm. at this thing we accomplished, but Hearts have not been changed or people haven't grown. It's just this thing that we've done. Right. And that's what I, I just feel like there's, there are before and after stories in my life mm-hmm. at significant, you know, hinge points mm-hmm. of my faith journey when instead of taking a step back, I took a step in. Right. And, yeah. and I, and I, I want more people in our congregation to have before and after stories. And I feel like sometimes people duck and weave by saying like, Oh, but I grew up in the church. Like I've always, there's never yeah. been a time I didn't know Jesus. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I believe you. Yeah. And still yeah. <laughs> we all have a wow. choice. Yeah to take a step in deeper or to keep God at the comfortable distance where God is. And we can either make that choice or we can wait till catastrophe drives us to it. Um, anyway, can I tell the story about you and the rock in your yard? What? Remember this, you, um, when you were going through the transformation process with your church and you were not sure, I mean, um, people were getting upset and leaving and uh, you thought that the church might close. Oh. Uh, like, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm almost done with the story now. <laughs> so, and you just had this moment where you're out on this large rock in your yard and I think it was raining. It's raining. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a bit yes. melodramatic, but, yes. it's, but it's very real. Pathetic so fallacy. Yes. You just had this moment of, I've come to the end of what I can do in my own strength as a leader. And God, if you don't show up, this is yes. over. Yes. And if you choose to close this church, I'm okay. Here I am. I'll do what you want me to do. Right? Yes. And Here I am, <laughs> lying on the rock but, in the rain. But I think that's what... <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, like, that I guess, is, yes. I guess it is a bit melodramatic. Yes, but, but that's where it was. It describes yeah. this moment of change and transformation in you. You're not 
you're not performing anything. Yeah. It's a real internal transformation that has real world effects in in your life and the life of the congregation. One thing just helping me realize that there's no there there there's only one dialogue partner for me to have ultimately when I look at my ministry and my call and that's me and God. Um, and it's not like, oh, well, if only my elders would, or if only those people yeah. would do that, or why yeah. isn't the Presbyterian doing this, or why can't... I mean, like, yeah. all these, these you know, argument partners yes. that we have, like, everything yes. would be fine if you would only whatever. Because that leads to frustration, and sure. it assumes that everything out there owes you something. Well, and also that everything is, should be in my control, right? Absolutely. And so you're just so yes. angry at people because they yes. won't do what you know they yes. should be doing. Yes. And at the end of the day, I mean, what that moment on the rock is just a moment of full surrender and recognizing yeah. like, yo, well, I'm absolutely not in control here. Yeah. I'm absolutely yeah. not in control. Mm-hmm. Nor did God ever promise yeah. to make me in mm-hmm. control mm-hmm. that the, the call is to pick up your cross mm-hmm. and to come and die. Yeah. And what you say when you give your life to Jesus and, and when you answer a call to ministry, and that's the same thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> no yes. matter how yeah. we might know, yeah. everyone is called to ministry. When you yeah. give your life to Jesus, you're saying, here's my life, God. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you want to with yeah. it. Whatever. Yeah. Like I'm saying, yeah. God, what you're doing in the world, I want to be a part of that. And so whatever part you need me to do, I am willing to play it. Yeah. And so I'm not saying... Sign me up, but only if I get to be the hero, right? Right. I'm saying failure is an option Mm -hmm. because the life of Jesus, at least as he was living it, was characterized by failure. Well, and like the parable of the talents, failure doesn't mean risking Mm -hmm. and it not going well. Failure is not Not even trying. Failure is burying it. And a lot of times I think we bury our call in anger of like, you know, you people owe me this or you didn't give me that. And all those things might be true. I mean, they might be very, very true. And the witness of the gospel is it doesn't matter how much the world is against you or how powerless you might be. I still have the freedom, the authority, and, you know, that, and the responsibility to live out my faith in Jesus Christ in the context that I have been given. Um, So... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me and the Rock. <laughs> I, but I love that story. It's a great story. Yeah, it is yeah. a good story. Yeah. It is yeah. a good story. It's it was of, very fun. I know. But it. it's, it's one. But of my well, favorites. and it's helpful to full circle this very long podcast back to the beginning. I mean, coming to that moment of surrender really comes after a period of long weariness when you just get yeah. tired of fighting and realize, like, I just can't. I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to fight to make things happen yes. anymore. I want to show up every day and do my work in peace, knowing that you're God and I'm not yeah. and you can do whatever you want to with this and it doesn't have to be visible in my lifetime and it doesn't have to be respected or seen right. by certain other people. <laughs> well, and that takes, since you're not preaching this I'm Sunday, not preaching. it takes me to what I'm preaching this Sunday, which is James chapter one, count it all joy when you mm-hmm. fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, mm-hmm. let endurance have its perfect work. So you might so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Um, and <laughs> I have to say, I'm, I, I have that text in my head because back in the 80s, uh, when I became a believer, there was this set of, they called them scripture memory songs. Mm-hmm. There are these CDs, mm-hmm. and that was one of the songs. Was, oh, they were yeah, really yeah. cheesy, but yeah, that was one of the songs that I remember. But yeah, this whole idea of we see um, hardship, suffering, trials as 
an intrusion that yes. just needs to go, mm-hmm. right? Who, who's done something wrong, me or them? Yes, and the text says, no, there's a command that yeah. says, instead of your natural impulse to think, well, how can I get out of this? Mm-hmm. It's to welcome it as joy because in it, God is shaping you, perfecting yeah. you, maturing you. Well, and, and when you go through the storm, right? Like when, not if, yeah. but Not when. if, but when. And, I, and we're doing a lot of songs lately, that How to Sleep in the Storm song yeah. I really love. And there was one Raise a Hallelujah song, which pretty is pretty popular right now that we've been singing that just talks about like, when I'm in the storm, I'm going to yeah. raise a hallelujah and my weapon is a melody. And all. I mean, just these really... I think it's ironic because they're popular, super popular songs, but I feel like they have this really unexplored facet of what we're signing on for when we're signing on to Jesus, was yes. which isn't cake on a plate till I get my deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> it is. I'm willing to go through hardship here and now because I know it won't be wasted. And I'm willing to suffer because I know my suffering will be redeemed um, because I see the cross. Yeah. I see what it is. Wow. We got to finish. Yeah, that's we're a done. good place to end.